0: Welcome to Two Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, I think it might be the first year we won signing day. Did you did you have a good signing day week? It was a few commitments on the board for us.
1: Yeah, we we, we had a few commitments on the new signing day, which is now become completely boring uh but uh, at least for for most accounts but it worked out well for us this time we had a winner of a day uh, when there's not much activity for many programs
0: true why don't you give us a cheers
1: um well how about a uh a, a cheers because i you know i i like to just um you know, cause more problems. Uh, so our last podcast, I think it was where we uh, went through a lot of the transfers, our concerns, whether we weren't concerned in certain uh, areas, uh, you know, a couple people didn't, didn't like it, thought we were being negative Nancy's. I thought, you know, generally we're probably the most positive outlook out there in terms of a lot of these things. So, um, Here's for kind of measured response. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. In between is probably the gray area of where most things in life actually exist. Um, and uh, if you uh, if you want to send me a message, just be sure you don't call me a hack, or else uh, <laughs> guess what? Uh, you're just gonna get blocked. And it's like we don't we don't do this and get paid for it. We don't. It's a it's a hobby that we try to. So I don't know how I can be a hack given I am not a professional in any way, shape, or form. A hack with somebody that probably uh, attempts to do something professionally and, uh, and fails at it. So, um, <laughs> so uh, here's to uh, me saying uh, to our, our one friend out there, F off. How's that? So uh, we'll kick things <laughs> off with that, and then cheers.
0: Cheers. Yeah, we did get uh, some negative feedback from the podcast last time. Uh, We also did get some positive feedback. So we appreciate all the people who enjoyed uh, us having Andy on and and maybe enjoyed some of the realistic perspective we were providing. We weren't trying to be negative so much as it was just the way we were feeling. And, yeah, we got called a few names, including Hack, as Robbie said. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we, we are basically, because we don't, we're not <laughs> professionals, never claim to be. We're just too, I'm not even sure we're good enough to be called hacks, but uh, yeah. <laughs> which, like you said, we don't do this for as a profession. So it's all good. I get, you know, I got called an ass and that, you know, we're pandering <laughs> to the worst section of the fan base. Um, <laughs> no, I think a lot of fans felt concerned, uh, men yeah. still do feel concerned about the coaching regime and, and the transfers and everything, but over the signing days, uh, last few days leading up to signing day, I think there were some positive things to take away. Yeah, the one the, the one negative thing I will say is we did lose out on Eugene Asante. It's someone that we were hoping to get, and he flipped to UNC. Not flipped isn't the right word, right. but we were his first Power Five offer. A lot of people thought he was a heavy Tech lean for a long time. He never committed to us officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he went with Mac Brown. Mac Brown dropped the bag.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And, yeah, people wanted him. They were excited about him. And people were just disappointed he chose to go elsewhere. It's not, it's not the end of the world. And it also can just be what it is. He chose to yeah. go elsewhere. And people can just be upset. I think we've always said that every year when we go through this recruiting cycle, which is you can both be like want somebody and then be disappointed when they choose to go somewhere else. And that's, that's all it is. But uh, no, I don't, we don't mean to pander to any sort of the fan base other than saying, um, you know, most things are just in the gray. They're neither black. They're neither white in terms of a positive or negative. And we'll find out two, three years, four years from now who ended up being more right or more wrong, but nobody's going to have it. Perfect.
0: Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to be, uh, in the middle ground these days on anything you have to have a take you have to be fire fuente or you have to be it starts now you know there's there's very little in between um, and I, I, we do try to be somewhere in the middle. I, I You know, we, we never once have called for, for fire in Coach Fuente. Uh, maybe it crosses our mind in, in the depths uh, of drinking after the Georgia Tech loss, but it's not
1: something we've ever said on the podcast. Yeah, I um, probably yelled it after, like, the ODU loss, like, yeah, just, yeah, like, you hammered. Know, you get angry um, and whatever. <laughs> but uh, believe me, in, in, in any of my more rational times, I would never even uh, think of that at this point. So, but whatever. No. That's nah, neither here nor there. So, so we do have the updates on,
0: uh, the commitments that we got, and we're going to do that in our recruiting class segment, but let's start with basketball real quick and go over what's been happening with the team. Cause that team's actually playing games. Uh, we're 18 and five, seven and four in the ACC. Now, since our last podcast, we beat Miami. We beat NC state, which was <laughs> one of the more bizarre games of the college basketball season we lost to Louisville and we lost to Clemson and in the Louisville game, we just couldn't hang. It was that Saturday to Monday turnaround. Uh, and by the end of that game, we, we really just couldn't hang. And the Clemson loss just terrible offense. We couldn't get anything going. Mm -hmm. Uh, BD didn't hit a shot. Wilkins didn't hit a shot. I don't think, uh, I think Ahmed Hill or no, it was, N.A.W. was uh, 3 for 14. Yeah, It was ugly.
1: Yeah, it just didn't go well. And, uh, you know, it was our first... I think it's our first back-to-back losses so far this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Louisville, we couldn't... It it was obvious that that game was just going to get out of hand in Clemson. It was more on the offense. Uh, The NC State game was absolutely bizarre. And um, (laughs) a 47-24 game, which made made listen we came out with the w so i'm positive about that but it made sports center for all the wrong reasons (laughs) quite frankly the Um, fewest amount of
0: points scored (laughs) by a ranked team in the shot clock era for (laughs) nc state
1: yeah so nc state talk about struggling they were really hurting there uh i think the the takeaway here is this team um It's it's just too easy to say. Without Justin Robinson, they they can this team is going to really really struggle um, to be consistent, uh, and especially to be consistent uh, on offense. And uh, you know, you could say there's a lot of factors at play. I think that is just the most obvious. The question is, is you know, when's he going to come back, and is he going to come back? Because the news has been. You know, barely trickling out. And I don't usually think of Buzz, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, as somebody that's very coy about these things. He, you know, he won't air stuff out until he has a definitive thought on it. But, you know, he probably has some. more idea of what's going on with justin robinson than he's maybe letting on right now maybe he doesn't know I have no clue. i'm i sure he has a much much
0: better idea uh i mean think about if you really think about it though like we've never heard a word about chris clark from him we've never heard a word really about landers Nolly. He's said a few things on tech talk live uh it, it's it's it might be a little gamesmanship he doesn't want the teams to not have to prepare for yeah. justin robinson because uh, of the the injury that he took against Miami right after the best game of his career against Syracuse which is just so sad and and really this is the best basketball season we've talked about many times best basketball season since del Curry was a hokie yeah. and to have it be temporarily at least derailed it's very disappointing it's really sad and I'm it's a bummer now, that bummer can be turned around if we get Justin Robinson back for the ACC tournament for the NCAA tournament, but we don't know much. There have been little nuggets. uh, They were talking about on the tech sideline podcast that um, there's people posting on their boards and buzz kind of let it drop that he expects him back next month. Like Mm -hmm. it, like something he said on tech talk live. Uh, He said next month, like when we have Robinson back. Um, And a lot of people have been saying like the 30 days, it happened on January 30th, so that would put us into March. And we're going to go through the schedule a little bit here, but that would be fine if you came back in early March. But the rumor of broken toe, to me, it leans more towards, I don't know, six weeks, uh, yeah. which would put you right at the beginning of the ACC tournament, maybe into the NCAA tournament week. So uh, And
1: derails that chance to show definitively it's because he was out that things started to go haywire so it'd be nice to come back and put something mm-hmm. together yeah. right before the like if that timing gets suspect then you know that premise that some people have and i think you and i may are going to talk about about you know it being about him um being out could could derail a little bit um and if that were the fact uh, you, but you're 100% right i will say though once once there was a decision, I feel as though on Landers and once there was a decision on Clark, he was quick to just say they're out. They're gone. That's so, true. That's so the, true. The good news, if anything, is I, I'm i a believer that when Buzz knows and it's like that time, you know, he's he would probably come out and, and just say it flatly. And that's probably a good thing that we haven't heard that from him.
0: Yeah. So let's just take a look at the remaining schedule then. We've got Georgia Tech up next on Wednesday. And then we got at Pitt, UVA, Notre Dame, Duke, at Florida State, and Miami. So UVA and Duke, those are not winnable games without Justin Robinson. They're, they're just not. You could, in, in a miracle, win one of those games without him, but it's, it's not going to happen probably. Yep. So Georgia Tech up next at home, they're 102 in Kempom. That is a very winnable game, even without five. Yep. At Pitt, they're number 78 on the road. That's going to be a little bit harder, but it's winnable. And if you were to somehow win those two games, um, that would just lighten the load down the stretch immensely. You could basically – you're a lock for the tournament at that point. You'd have 20 wins. You'd re- get to the 9-win mark in ACC play, which makes you 500. and you'd still have a very winnable game at home uh, against Miami at the very end where Robinson could be back. So – to me like that uva duke and then at fsu uh, are are all all losses they they could probably all be losses even if robinson was playing yeah and and so but there are four winnable games left on the schedule is how i'd characterize it
1: and then what are your thoughts isn't notre dame stuffed in between there as well yeah Uh, they're
0: they're on the road as well they're number 89 in ken pom so they're they're just hanging in the, the top 100. They're not a great team this year, though, I will say. I think they've been improving. A Mike Bray coach team isn't going to stay down the entire season, so I'm sure they're getting better. Uh, and and that, that's a tough place to play. We, like Beating them at Notre Dame is not easy. So I, if I had to rank them, like easiest chance for a win is this Wednesday against Georgia Tech. Right. Uh, the second easiest would be the last game against Miami, <laughs> then at Pitt, and then at Notre Dame. That's how I'd kind of rank them.
1: Yeah, but I no matter what's happening, as, as long as you know, there's there's always two ways to to look at things. It, it's it's nice to have teams um, not have a look at Justin Robinson for a little while. That that said, he he will be coming back for injury if he does come back, yeah, and that's going to take a, a little while to to get used to. But hopefully, the team is learning. Um, a lot about themselves and what they can do without him out there and without him on the court and maybe people are going to have to step up and figure out how to step up over these upcoming games to be competitive and that could that could pay a little bit of dividends when you get to um get to the tournament assuming that everything continues on the path that it is
0: yeah you would hope that your seniors would step up in the absence of another senior but ahmed hill for instance is one of 17 from three in the yeah. last three games. The three games that Robinson has missed, he has done the opposite of step up, and clearly he's missing the point guard, the guy that knows where he wants to shoot the ball from and can get it to him. But still, one for 17? Like, come on. that That is unbelievably horrible. Just overall, he's 10 of 36, which is 28% from the field overall. So it's it's ugly for Ahmed Hill. Beattie hasn't made a basket in the last two games. O oh, of nine, uh, I, I mentioned Nikhil's uh, poor game versus versus Clemson. That was the first game where Nikhil didn't score the ball well and didn't assist the ball well. Right. In these other two duds, I think Georgia Tech and Syracuse, he had a lot of assists, but against Clemson, he just he didn't have a very good game. So I'd say Blackshear's been doing. Well, he he's been playing very strong, especially offensively. But he still just gets called for so many fouls. When you're like, how is that a foul? I don't understand how it's a foul. And then he makes his sad face and it's his surprised face because he's the um, only big guy out there for us. So yeah,
1: it's like he's the easiest target. Right? Like on Duke, you got to look at twelve monsters that have end up seeing the court, and you're like, well, well, we can't call it on all of them for him. He's just the easy target now. And Hill. In past seasons, has gone through this type of spell, and you know where he has been. Oh yeah, um, yes. trouble from out from outside. So, but you're right. Without it, does seem a lot to do with uh, with Robinson out, and if, if you know if, if J Rob comes back, you would hope that the you know the committee and, and the tournament selection committee and you know get the seating would reflect the the loss of what was papered as one of the I don't know what six best point guards in the country uh, is what you know he kept hitting that list every time you saw yeah. it come out yeah um, definitely one of the top point
0: guards in the country not no no doubt about it Jeff Goodman was just uh saying something about it this week that that's the injury that like really people should be talking about because it's it's a huge injury it's changed the uh, dynamic of our team and if you do get Robinson even cleared to play the committee has to consider that when seeding us, because we could lose to Georgia Tech, Pitt, UVA, Notre Dame, Duke. We could lose all the games before he comes back. It's it's yeah. possible, and if you do that, our tournament seed, uh, our tournament uh, status is in question.
1: Oh yeah, we period. may not even make it. That's why I said if all goes <laughs> goes to plan and we win some of those, you're one hundred percent. Yeah, right. we
0: have to win. We have to win the Georgia Tech game. It, there's there's. I must win is, is harsh, but it's kind of true. Like we really need to win that game to solidify a tournament uh, entry. And also we, if we have any hope, any, any hope of staying off the eight, nine line, you have to win against Georgia tech. So, I think we could be a seven. I think the best case scenario, if we hold ground in the games, we can win is a six seed, but I think with Robinson coming back, if we were to lose a couple, maybe we lose at Notre Dame, we lose uh, at FSU, FSU. Duke, and UVA. But when the other three, like that should be good enough for a six or seven seed if Robinson is cleared to
1: play. Right. And all that is to say, um, and this is back to your original point, is yeah um, and it's the season's not over it was just such a good season going so well to see it, it, it it's not derailed but it's taken a it's taken a left turn and it has to do you know to <laughs> three left turns is a right kind of situation um yeah. so like, well the good
0: news is there is good news is that our advanced metrics, are still holding up extremely well because of the work we did before his injury. We beat Purdue. We beat Washington. We beat Syracuse. We beat NC state, a ranked team on the road. And our NET rating is currently 14th. Uh, The Ken Palm rating is still 10th. We're eighth in BPI. Uh, This, this is what's going to get us, you know, if we're going to get a seed, that's not on the eight, nine line, This is the reason why is these advanced stats and the fact that the committee knows that at full strength, this team is damn good, maybe even worthy of like a four seed. So that, that is what is really going to be key for us. And if Robinson does come back, you know, if you want to do the math on it from January 30th to March 8th, when that last Miami game is that's 37 days. So 37 divided by seven, you, you've got a little over five weeks. If you do one more week to the ACC tournament, that's six weeks. If it's a broken toe, if it's a sprained toe, um, you know, six weeks should be enough for him to play in the ACC tournament. But, you know, we, we're not doctors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. And we're also going off of the rumor of what the actual injury is. We know nothing, right. Is. Yeah, we know absolutely so, nothing. So, um, I don't know. I hope he... <clears throat> I hope he gets well soon. The team deserves it. Bud and Buzz has done so many good things, and all the players have played so hard. So, we'll 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 hope for the best, and hopefully he'll be back asap. Let's move on
0: to the recruiting class. Uh, that that class we talked about at the beginning signed on Wednesday last week, twenty sixth in the two four seven composite, third in the ACC behind Clemson and FSU this uh, 26th ranking is just a couple spots lower than last year. We did come in at 24th last year in the nation, but considering the season we had and how early our season went sour to maintain that class and to hit that 26 mark, I think should be commended. I, I, of course we all want it to like tick up a little bit every year, but I, with the season we had, I, I think that's pretty impressive.
1: I couldn't agree more. I, you, you're talking about our first losing season and what, 20 years or whatever the case may be. What was the the, the stat? And, um, listen, you know, there, there's recruiting, there's, and there's probably too much weight put in, put on both. One, people want to go to where teams are performing. Clemson does not have to have recruit, nearly as hard as Virginia Tech does to get elite talent, right? Similarly, you know, the bad you know record this year does make it hard because people do want to go to a program that is um you know is on the up and up and has a good season or is anticipated having good seasons. But I again, it's in between. It's not everything's not one way or the other. I mean, there's still players that go to hometown schools. There's still players that care about what the coaching staff had to say. There's still parents that have par- or there's still players that have parents that are influential on where they go and feel like academics are extremely important and the coach cares about them or whatever the case may be. So but all that said, coming off of this season to just hold the line, for a year on the recruiting ranking, I think is extremely commendable.
0: We were 25th in rivals, 27th in ESPN and 28th in the two, four, seven in-house rankings, as opposed to the composite. So pretty much in the exact same area on all the various rankings, seven, four stars on both two, four, seven and rivals. That's a pretty solid haul. Uh, basically right at the highest numbers we've ever gotten in the past in terms of four stars, and one thing I when I'm looking at just the position breakdown, um, well let, let's let's focus on the biggest get which happened last week which it, we we kind of moved our news and notes into this area and it threw me off a bit but the big commit was Doug Nestor yeah. the offensive lineman who flipped from Ohio State to Virginia Tech he's a West Virginia kid uh, he's probably going to be a guard prospect and. To flip someone from Ohio State who's just at the 100th prospect in the nation mark, I think he's like 104, this was a big get for the team, for Vance Vice, and really raised our spirits. It's part of the reason why we're considering signing day, signing week, a win. Because not only did we get Nestor, but we got Knox Katum, a backup quarterback, which we sorely needed after the departure of Henan Hooker, which came on the heels of the departure of Josh Jackson as well as the defensive tackle, Jaden Cunningham. So to add someone like Cunningham to your defensive tackle, someone with some real size, he's listed at like 326. um, Someone had him at like 310. Either way, we needed a big fat defensive tackle because a lot of our guys are undersized. And then you add Nestor on the offensive side and you get that, you know, what's going to ultimately be your third string QB and Katem who hopefully doesn't have to see the field for a long, long time. That, just that rounding out of the class in the last week made me feel a lot better. It
1: rounded out areas that we, well, it rounded out QB, obviously, became, and we'll have roll hit news or notes, became a position that was very much in need of getting somebody in. Defensive line, we know that we need some big bodies there in the middle. Uh, everybody was concerned about that, and then a few other people. And then you had a nice kind of add to that on the Nestor side, which is having a lot of confidence that, um, you know, Vance Weiss is really just out there hustling and working. So yeah, there was there a coaching change at Ohio state? Yes, there was. However, Ohio State is a perennial offensive line production school. They're ranked among the top 10 in NFL production for offensive line. That's not like you flipped a TCU recruit that's a great offensive lineman over to Virginia Tech. You not only took from Ohio State, which has the reputation of recruiting all four and five stars, um, but you did it at a school— um, that that produces offensive linemen. I mean, that's like flipping an LSU defensive back over to Virginia Tech. I mean, it's a Florida defensive back. I mean, those are things that don't happen um, too often. So it was uh, it was honestly a coup for for the program, and it also just builds on Hanson and just the the number of offensive linemen that we have coming in. And if you uh, the best review you'll find out there is obviously French's of of every player in there. Um it's it's pretty incredible what they were able to do there. Um and, and solve some of the things that I think gave people a lot of pause uh and in areas of need. Not that necessarily all these people will, will end up starting or be necessary, but it was areas that we were really worried about. Yeah, I mean if you're
0: building on the lines, that's that's what I always want to see. I will not I know sometimes you can over-recruit a position, and we've been guilty of that in the past, and under-recruit certainly in terms of the defensive line, defensive tackle, and we tried to rectify that in this class. We took five defensive linemen, all of which I think might be defensive tackles in some shape or form. Pollard, I think, could end up as a defensive end um, you never know how these guys' positions will change once they get in school. And some but, of them
1: can shrink down to the outside. I mean, it, you know, yeah. if with, with if you're... New That's what Mahota had to do. Right. You know, if th- you got strength, guess what? We've also seen pro- more problems when people are having to move from end to tackle in terms of injuries because putting on the weight causes a lot of stress. Taking off the weight oftentimes is... Um, it's a lot... It may not be easier to get rid of the weight, but it's easier on your body. So...
0: So we took five defensive linemen, like I said. We took four offensive linemen, including Nestor, Hudson, Hanson, and Pritchard. And so those those being our two like most most amount of guys at those two positions, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. We did take four DBs, uh, including J.R. Walker, who's going to be a safety. He's already enrolled in school, and then four wide receivers, including Tavian Robinson, who is the slot of the future. Um, so a lot of competition at wide receiver lot of competition on the lines in the next couple years, which is very, very much wanted for a Fuente offense and a Bud Foster defense that already has a lot of linebackers in the program. The one other thing that we added as a bonus was the return of Deshaun McLeese. And we didn't know whether he was going to transfer or not. We kind of discussed that. like We weren't sure if he was coming back in our last podcast. It seems like he's back with the team now and that's Hey, that's like winning a JUCO running back recruit right there. Uh, that That's a huge win to keep him in the program. And then you're going to add Taj Gary and Keyshawn King, King being a guy which a lot of people feel strongly about. A lot of people think he's going to play and maybe be the starter next year. So between him and McLeese and Holston and Stewart and Beck and whoever else you know emerges, it's going to be – it could be a very nice – offensive line running back combo going forward. It, it it could be game changing in terms of what we've got going on, the amount of offensive linemen already in the program. And then you add this level of competition to that group.
1: Yeah. You can say whatever you want but about whether King's going to come in and be the starter or whether Holston's going to have a breakout off season and end up being this getting McLeese get back. is huge. It, it just is. I, I mean, he may not have been lights out every single game. And I know it was a change of pace and kind of the one somehow fun day and, and the team and Brad managed to turn it into a three running back game where it's a, it's a four quarter game, but somehow it was always divided in three where one would start and then it would switch to the next. Then it switches to the next. It was like people's McLeese, then Halston or some order of thereof. McLeese has experience. He has knowledge of the system he, he's absolutely um, a huge benefit to get back, especially, and I don't want to go there, but in case of any injuries, however things of course, shake out, of it's course. great to have. I mean, it's not it's not the first or last time that Worth had dealt with uh, pretty serious injuries on that side. So I think that was huge, getting him back.
0: I wanted to also bring up Wheatley as well. So, so you, you throw Wheatley into that mix too. You're going to have... Much better options with McLeese mixed in. Because Taj Gary is coming off a pretty brutal injury. He broke his femur in high school in one of the last games. So I don't think he's going to contribute next year. Uh, so like you said, injuries will happen. They've already happened. So you need as many running backs as you can get your hands on, at least ones that you know can play. I wanted to talk a little bit about the QB room now. We've lost Hooker, We've lost Jackson. We add Katem. And naturally, I think a lot of the fan base assumes that it's Ryan Willis's turn to start. But there's been a lot of buzz about Quincy Patterson uh, being the starter for next year, and clearly, Jackson and Hooker felt they couldn't compete with that. They 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 going forward, Quincy was going to beat them out. Otherwise, they wouldn't have transferred.
1: Um. Yes. Yeah, so, so let me let me just add upon that for one moment. So assuming that- I'm projecting a little. No, bit no, because- no. It's not projecting, <laughs> but it it's under the auspices of something that we don't know. That there's no problems in the locker room, right? So like there's right. no real like. And guess what? Jackson and Fuente, for all accounts, were you know two peas in a pod, and you know they they really got along, and Fuente liked them. So I I have to assume. Under the assumption that there's nothing going on, because I don't know that there's no yeah. there's no locker room reason why those two left, then it leads you to a conclusion that QP at least beat out Hooker, um, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and he got more snaps than him. Or this potentially, year. so beat, there, you or, could just view it that yeah, way. Yeah. Or potentially beat out Hooker and Jackson because. Otherwise, it could have been QP. There's one more year that it could have been, like it could fall in those two things where maybe he did wasn't going to beat out Jackson, but he already beat out Hooker, so Hooker left. And then Jackson realized he wasn't going to beat out Willis. You know, there's a waterfall effect yeah, yeah. through how this whole thing works. Um, the long and short of it is in none of those scenarios that I just outlined, is there a negative for what we know about QP. So that's nice. I mean, that, that's a that's a good thing. Right? It, all of those scenarios lead to development and understanding and confidence uh, in Quincy Patterson as long as you make the assumption that there's not anything bad happening in the locker room, which is like, uh, and I'm saying that's a good thing. Like, I'm saying that's yeah. a positive. I am thing. kind of
0: like having a flashback though to what was it last summer when Fuente was kind of saying, yeah, well, Josh needs to really commit to loving his craft and getting in the playbook. And then there was something about like Josh feeling disrespected or something. So there's been a a few whispers, um, about that. And that could have been part of the reason Jackson decided to transfer. But I also think if you go into practice every day and you're seeing this hulking behemoth, um, you know, slinging balls and running and you're like, yeah, this isn't going to be good for me in a year. Um, you know, he, he decided to jump ship, but I wanted to talk about the depth too, because we clearly had to pick up a quarterback in this class because we only had Willis and QP, and you get one injury and you're in emergency status. You know, Dewan Ellis is going to be your third string quarterback. So, yeah. So they had to get someone and they scramble and they offer Katem, who was a JMU commit, and he flips to Virginia Tech. Well, that's great. I'm glad he flipped and I'm glad we now have a third string QB who hopefully will never have to play. However, I felt like it comes off as a little unprepared that, that that's how it looked to me is that everyone kind of knew hooker was going to transfer that had been like rumored for months and months. And if we're rumoring it, the coaches probably already know it Jackson, that could have shocked them. I don't know, but Every class, every recruiting class should have a quarterback in it. Yeah. And we didn't get ours until a couple of days before signing day. And we kind of had to like, oh, you don't have an offer? All right, we'll offer you now. And he, thank God he said yes. Because if he doesn't say yes, what's our quarterback status going into next year? We have Willis and QP, that's great. But one injury and you're in serious trouble.
1: Yeah, a couple of things there. Well, FSU has gone two years without a quarterback. So uh, <laughs> let's. That's that's one thing. Uh, The second is, listen, I don't think anybody thought Ryan Willis was going to end up being our starting quarterback uh, by any any stretch of imagination. But we went out, we got him, we brought him in. Yes, it did seem more prepared in the way that we went out and got him and got him into um, Virginia Tech. But third uh, on that point, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying, this could have gone a lot different directions, is... The more that I've listened to it, the more I think you've listened to a lot of podcasts, the more what we've kind of studied the national media and the narrative and what coaches are saying is this transfer portal stuff and people got kids in the car is effing everything up for a lot of people. Like this is a whole, I didn't, I didn't appreciate until listening to weeks and weeks and weeks of just, you know, podcasts about it, people being interviewed some of it is coaches just making excuses for themselves. Some of it's legit. Like, there's, they said at one point there was over a 1,000 people in the transfer portal. like, And that movement now has changed. Is that for real? 1,000? Yeah, thousand? over 1,000 people, somebody said, that they had in the transfer portal at one point. or in, I don't know if that was at any one time or total over a period of time. And then people you, coming I back, you. I don't know that, but it's the statistics are, are pretty alarming. And now they're saying Dana Holgerson was on Sirius XM. I think he came out and said, most teams are holding four slots open for transfers. And he said that was never the case before. And that's a good point.
0: That is a good point because I, I don't want to rag on the coaches too much for being unprepared because it is hard to account for two guys at the same position, leaving the program in the, in one week. And, recruiting someone at that position when they see that you've got four guys in front of them so like it's not easy and once Kadem sees oh wait i've got a clear path to at least the third string spot uh because those other two guys left it makes it a lot easier for him to say yes so I, I i do understand that and you're right i think the transfer portal has thrown coaches and teams and scholarship limits for a loop a little bit and we might be getting a quarterback transfer as well. A lot of people have talked about that Oregon kid Burmeister transferring to tech. There's we, I don't know anything inside on that. I've just heard the rumor. Um, we'll see, but I would imagine that we will start this season with a fourth quarterback in some capacity, whether it's a walk on or, or whatever else. So, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad Knox committed. Um, you can read about him but you know he had a lot of success in high school and and he, he's a skinny little kid right now but you know he he'll bulk up and hopefully down the road he'll develop uh but maybe we'll never need him yeah and
1: that i think that's the
0: that's the hope
1: and and right now some schools are going to have it easier with this new dynamic in recruiting with the portal and how fast things are moving alabama's like some they had a five star the other day say yeah i'm transferring Saban sitting there going, "Are you kidding? Okay, well, there's six more five stars that I can replace you with. Uh, good luck. Clemson's going to be fine. It's when you start to get moved down the tier of ranking recruitings that it's going to get harder and harder for you to be as nimble as you would like to, and then replace it with you know the talent that you were hoping. Uh, it's just the way that I think things are going to work moving forward. And I I think it's I think it's going to be." significant on kind of the shock that happens this year, next year, and then people will start to figure it out year three, four or five.
0: All right. Before we go a little bit deeper into some of the positions, let's take a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking?
1: So I'm drinking the hashtag ultra fresh. It's literally got, it's hashtag ultra fresh. It has the hashtag. So uh, double IPA from three stars brewing company. In D.C., uh, I it's it's okay. It, I wouldn't I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't love it. I do like that they put a sticker on the side that updates the um, updates the date that it actually got shipped on. So I thought that was pretty impressive. But from a taste per, it's just not a great double IPA. Three stars puts out some pretty good things, and this is not one of them. I've never seen this beer before, so I decided to grab it off the the shelf. I would um wouldn't steer clear, but it's not one I would recommend. I'm
0: drinking the First Cut IPA by Trogues. This is I think a brand new beer for them. They just put it out last week and it's a mango IPA. So it is cold and rainy and awful, but I'm I'm doing a little taste of the spring here because the the fruity IPAs, you know I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh they're they're a springtime summertime thing. And I saw this at the store the other day. I was like, I just, I just got to go for it. So Trogues makes great beer, Troganator, Nugget Nectar, the perpetual, um, Harrisburg PA. It's, it's always a solid choice. Uh, it's like victory to me. Like there's not many bad beers that they make. And this first cut is, is very good. 6.2% alcohol, 45 IBU. Um, very good. A little hazy, kind of on the orange side, like, a like a dark gold orangey color, but first cut IPA by Trogues. It's very good. I did that three stars that you had reminded me. I wanted to ask our listeners about like the local beer scene in DC and Virginia and Maryland, whatever. If you had to pick a beer that you would want to sponsor this podcast that most of our listener base could obtain at their store, what would it be? And there's, I was looking at, like, what's the best-selling beers in D.C.? Because most of our listeners come from northern Virginia and D.C. We have a lot of Richmond listeners. We have a lot of Philadelphia listeners in North Carolina. But, you know, whether it's Three Stars or Port City or D.C. Brow or Heavy Seas or Hardywood or something, I'd be interested to know, like, if we polled it, what – we want a sponsor. We would love to have a sponsor for next season. And if we could have any beer that like you know people could get their hands on, what would what would it be? So that's something we might kind of put out there in the next couple of months. I don't know what you think about that idea. I'm kind of just springing it on you. I love it, but, but um,
1: yeah, I mean, I love Hardywood down in Richmond. I love Triple Crossing down in Richmond. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of great. Breweries, Aslan, somebody like that—that's almost that's hard beer to get. So keep in mind the point of uh, of the question that Pete raises, exactly, because, exactly, because some of those beers are not easy to get a hold of, um, and some of the breweries are not all that open to you know trying to you know yeah. give out or even get their stuff in retail. A lot of them yeah. just want. To, we're
0: not, yeah, we're not guaranteeing that anyone's going to actually want to sponsor it. But if we go after a fairly big brewery that they know their distribution map lays over our listenership map, that would be great. And if we could avoid uh, a member of InBev, that would also be great. (laughs) 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 But I'm not, you know, devil's backbone, I'm not going to turn my nose up at anyone. I'm just saying, Mm. Um, yeah, it'd be nice to have, you know, like uh, someone that fills those criteria. A Virginia brewery would be best, yeah. But, you know, or D.C. or Maryland. I don't think you know, yeah.
1: R.A.R. up in Maryland. There's a there's a significant out of uh, I work in Maryland now, so I have to make the hike, uh, which will be relevant for my second beer on the podcast. And uh, that's coming up uh, here in a little bit.
0: OK, let's get back to football. The last thing I just wanted to talk about and, and put a little bit more emphasis on before we move on to our last topic was Vance Weiss and the offensive line. We touched on it a bit, but I wanted to look at the offensive line for next year because we are bringing back two very solid tackles in Derrishaw and Janzy And then you've got Lasita Smith, who started the last three games, and you've got Zach Hoyt, who was flipping between left guard and center most of the year. And then that right guard spot's open. So some people have been talking about uh, whether that's going to be Doug Nestor because he clearly is the crown jewel of the class and the most highly rated. But I'm looking at the names that are already in the program. And just last year, we brought in Culver, Tenuta, Harrison, Kane. You also have Austin Cannons in the program, who they were liking a lot last year. Um, and then even Hudson. I mean, you you could he could be a tackle, um, and Pritchard is better suited for guard, but Hanson and Hudson could easily both be guards. Yeah. So – The competition for that right guard spot um, is going to be very stiff because even someone like Tyrell Smith, who's going to be a senior, interesting thing about Tyrell Smith, he's played in every game of his career. He played Hmm. in 14 in 2016, 13 last year, and 13 the year before that. So he has played in every game, whether it's special teams or getting in on the offensive line. Tyrell Smith hasn't missed a game. That's So it's – it would be cool for him to potentially lock down that right guard spot, but I'm not sure of his skill set exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the strength of that O-line considering we are bringing back some guys, but the entire two deep is going to have a lot of freshmen and sophomores in it.
1: Yeah, so it, I think that's spot on. Is Everybody's very jacked up because – I think last year was a pretty good cycle for us at O-Line. We kind of came away from that feeling pretty good. This is even better. It's probably um, some have said, and you know, like the likes of French, one of the best O-Line classes that we've we've had uh, in a long time, and that goes back a ways. But um, the 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 fact is, is that the the amount of competition that's going to be out there is extremely important. I think that what's also nice is we are we are setting ourselves up for rotation. We might actually be able to get fresh bodies on, on the field. And it's not that we've been that thin. The O-line has slowly improved over, in my opinion, the last five years. It's gotten slowly. It hasn't like made leaps and bounds jumps, but it's gotten better where we felt more and more comfortable other than the center position than what's been going on with <laughs> our snapping issues that happened um, again and again and again. But I think it's getting there. And I think the competition, uh, at this on the, on the offensive line is going to be probably, you know, too, too deep, um, to maybe three deep that said, it's going to be a lot of youth and a lot of mistakes that happen on that. Even, even, you know, with all the talent and Nestor coming in, et cetera, it's, there's just a lot of learning you have to do with that position that, um, Ease. And bulking up,
0: too, yeah. and getting the right kind of strength. You know, they're all big, but it's about, you know, getting practical strength. And even guys like Kearns and Aiden Brown, who are in the program, um, they're going to have to make a decision whether they're going to try to beat these guys out or whether they're going to transfer. Or f- uh, there were times yep. where that Kearns and Aiden Brown were, like, really highly thought of. You know, they, that, they were having good practices and whatever else. But now the talent level of these last two classes has just, it's raised the bar so much. And we have a lot of offensive linemen in the program. There's going to be attrition there probably even as soon as this spring, um, guys are from that area are going to enter the transfer portal. Now that won't cause nearly as much, uh, discomfort as, as Eric Kuma transferring. Mm -hmm. But, um, But yeah, it's going to happen because, because the sheer numbers of it now and the talent level is so high by the young guys, it's going to force some of the older guys out.
1: Yeah. And, and then that's okay. I mean, that's a sign. I know I don't mean it to be crass about the people that would be forced out. That's a sign of health at a position group. That's a sign of health in a program is when you have people that are moving on to go, to go elsewhere. So, um, I think there, there could be some moves, um, you know if, if the problem is is that we've brought in a lot more bigger bodies than I think we have uh previously so it's yeah. not exactly like anybody's going to be flipping sides oh, of the ball we need to <laughs> we,
0: speaking of bringing in bodies we brought in Brock Hoffman we yeah, haven't even mentioned a, the transfer, transfer that we got from Coastal Carolina who started as a true freshman at Coastal Carolina at center then he started last year at right guard I, and he expects to be cleared to play immediately because one, uh, their coach stepped down and two, and I read this in Andy Bitter's article, his mother just had a brain surgery to r- remove a tumor. So um, he's hoping to get cleared to play this upcoming season immediately because Tech is closer to his hometown. And, um, and now he could step right in and potentially play right guard. So <laughs> again, the competition for the last spot or even a couple of the spots you don't know who could step up and beat out lasita smith or or zach hoyt at at center um you kind of expect hoyt because center is hard to master yeah but hey even he's shown like you said the snapping issues so anyone that can snap the ball and get the plays called i think they'd be willing to take a shot at at center as long as you know their their size and and
1: technique is up to snuff yeah and I, I think the the overall takeaway is just um, it's so it's so refreshing to have confidence at that position group because it's been it's been a challenge for a period of time and yeah. and co- I say confidence I say I don't mean that it's a sure thing more so that the upside potential for our offensive line looks great which. Uh, th- that gets us back to a lot of things that Virginia Tech likes to believe in, in terms of being able to run the football and or and, you know, jam it down people's throats. And you know, th- those are some of the complaints that we've been hearing for what you know, eight nine years now, in terms of getting away from what uh, originally put Virginia Tech on the map.
0: One last note before we move on to the S and P projections for this upcoming year, and. I tweeted this, and I kind of said it earlier, but not quite, is that the defensive tackle depth is something we've railed on for a year. Uh, We talked about it with Joe over the summer, and the fact that they went out and they tried to right a wrong where like the roster management by Fuente is something we've been very critical of. Uh, They tried to go out there, get the JUCOs, get some nice prospects from high school, and just jam guys into the into the system because we need as many as you can. Just inject five more bodies, five more big bodies, right into that defensive line. And they went out and did it. So I wanted to give the coaches a pat on the back for doing that because we desperately needed it. It's not that they didn't put themselves in that position, but at least they're trying to correct
1: the mistake. They're trying to correct it. It's just that you, know, you want to see what's happening in the offensive line happening on the other side of the ball, which it's not feeding in JUCOs. It's recruiting from the ground up it's bringing in those guys developing and and yeah and developing but we're also missing on people that i think that we should probably be hitting on that could be good defensive tackles defensive ends that should be excited to come play virginia tech football and they're less excited now seemingly based just on the what we're bringing in than historically and we're having to make up for it so you know and you're 100% right. Kudos to to the coaches seeing that there was a gap, seeing that there was a problem, going out and getting jucos that can be productive and step right in, or at least step right in a lot faster than somebody that's coming in as a as a freshman. Um, but over time, we gotta we gotta right that wrong as well, which is like get them out of get them out of high school and start building that pipeline rather than yep. just um, you know solving you know, the rather than the band aid. Let's uh, let's avoid the injury in the first place.
0: I did want to point out that one cornerback we got, Juco guy, Brian Murray. He's from Delaware. Oh. Very, very few Delaware kids go D1. Yeah. And so I wanted to give a special shout-out to, to Brian Murray for, you know, getting to D1 uh, from my home state.
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I didn't know that they had football in uh, Delaware, <laughs> yeah, that it existed.
0: You know, do you remember uh, Kwame Harris was a, <laughs> was a really good player for, I think, Stanford. And, um, and then his brother, Orion Harris played for Miami and they were both Newark, Delaware kids, but we haven't had a lot of guys come through the state that are uh, you know, truly big deals. But anyway, let's talk about these S and P plus projections. Bill C, he put out his, his, uh, returning production, recruiting, the whole metric. He smashes it all together and he comes out with his S and P plus projection for 2019 and, I was kind of impressed as to how high we were in this thing. Virginia Tech is 30th in the projected S&P Plus, meaning, you know, based on our competition even, that's where he expects us to sit. That would be like a 9 or 10-win season. Yeah. Just, like, looking at the schedule and and how high that would put us. 30th in the S&P would probably be a 9 or 10 wins.
1: Yeah, and quickly, because I... I saw chatter out there. I don't know if you listened to the PAPN. This I this takes into account the transfers that he knew about up till that point. So he what he was saying was the attrition was always are huge at two schools, Penn State and Virginia Tech, were the two highest in the country nearly in terms of who's in the transfer portal and who looks to be going elsewhere. Um, and I think his point was that it, it already takes that into account. Uh, For for these rankings, because these rankings are predominantly returning starts, not starters, returning starts. So how many plays did people take? How many snaps did they take? He goes pretty in depth. And then the recruiting rankings are and then also a feed in from, you know, what happened the prior year. But those three factors are generally what make up most of this portion of his ranking. Uh, yeah, so it does take that into account in case anybody was thinking yeah, that it's kind of padded stats.
0: Yeah, he definitely, you know, has, has accounted for some of the transfers and, and it's a little, he, he even said himself, it's a little clunky in terms of the way he kind of just takes, if you got a transfer some from somewhere else, he just takes those stats and adds it to, to your stats. Um, and obviously subtracting the stats is very simple, but yeah, it's recent history, returning production and recruiting. And um, yeah, where where we sit, we're the third, what is it? Yes, third highest. The fifth, no, the fifth team in the ACC. So it's Clemson, you know, fourth. Clemson, I put Notre Dame on there because we play them. So it's Clemson, Miami, (laughs) Florida State, Virginia Tech. Uh, Clemson's number three. Notre Dame, uh, one of our future opponents, is number 12. Miami's number 19. And we are number 30. UVA, 11 spots behind us at 41. Everyone else that we play: Pitt, North Carolina, Wake, Duke, BC, Georgia Tech, and ODU are all 59 or worse. Um, Georgia Tech comes in at 89, which I I don't I don't think they'll finish that badly, but maybe. And ODU is 119 which that doesn't matter because it's it's still a game that we absolutely need to be out for blood and and kill them so yeah well um, i mean
1: georgia tech they basically they have to go spread mulch and they were given a fork so uh it's not <laughs> it's not exactly like they have the t- that's what you and i were chatting about or the turnover is going to be substantial there in terms of getting to what that system is going to look like and i mean even even just the offensive line blocking, you have a bunch of offensive linemen that have no clue what they're supposed to be doing and kind of a more traditional system from what they're used to. But I do agree that that is really, really high. Um, Louisville. It's amazing how the, they have fallen from what was right. Just given the Lamar Jackson and not having him any longer. BC I haven't looked at the turnover at BC. I thought that was a little bit They had a lot of seniors. Yeah. They
0: had a lot, a lot of seniors. And hey, they only win about seven or eight games every year anyway. And this year was all seniors, and we thought it was going to be a very special year. Mm -hmm. Kind of took a
1: nosedive towards the end. Yeah, totally agree. Um, And then, you know, nothing else truly jumped out at me except for how high we were in comparison to what i probably thought i thought uva was going to be higher than us but the-
0: yeah no i could have seen that they are getting bryce hall back which i think is unfortunate uh I, I he could have left for the nfl and he had the, the most pass breakups in the nation or something and he's coming back that's actually got to account for a lot of their returning production because uh, bill has talked about how important like pass breakups are in his returning production metric because it, it bodes very well for the future. Oh, and QB, a lot of
1: them. right? And that's the other one. QB so.
0: and then pass breakups, yeah. yeah. Um, and we have, we're number 32 in returning production nationally. And even with all the transfers, we're still number 32. So obviously the whole defense basically is coming back. We're losing Ricky Walker, but, you know, losing Kearney and Ricky Walker in terms of people like who made tackles, right, yeah. um, and Mahota who, who you know, Played sparingly, so a lot of returning production production on defense, and clearly we have what could be our starting quarterback and Ryan Willis bring all his production back. So I like the fact where we're sitting. The ACC could have a crap year again next year. I mean, this is going to be Clemson in a landslide yet
1: again. It's horrific. So, um, and I'm trying to go through. So yeah, Miami. If you go through who we're playing, Miami at 19, UVA at 41 we play Notre Dame, now? No, we don't play. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we they're do 12. on the road, but we're on the road. They're 12. So we're, they, gonna we're lose, going to we're gonna South lose that game. Ben, so
0: <laughs> Probably. Miami and Notre Dame, they're the only two teams ranked above us in this projection. Now, the, this projection, it is just that. It is a projection. There is going to be more attrition from all these schools. There's going to be Miami taking on even more transfers, uh, potentially even our own Trevon Hill, who's reportedly now going to be a Kane I'm gonna just believe that when I see it. No, he's signed. I,
1: he signed. Yeah.
0: I, oh, you're thinking, you're, thinking you're, I you're
1: thinking academics or something like that. I'm just,
0: in. I just will. Mm-hmm. If Trevon gets on the field for the Canes, uh, then I will believe it. Uh, uh, it's kind of like there are hurdles that you know, academic hurdles, um, meshing with the team hurdles, uh, and he had just applied for like a financial aid package with Miami. Which doesn't preclude him from applying for that with other schools too. It just seems a little. I, I'll believe it when I see it. All right, that's, no, that's all. No, I'm that's say fair. But yeah, does him going there piss me off? Hell yeah, it does. Hey, yeah. <laughs> listen, we kicked him off the kicked him off the that's team. True. He can I go mean, wherever the fuck he wants. I and wish me. he would have gone somewhere that we didn't have to play. That's that's kind of <laughs> because yeah. he's very good. I mean, he's a very very good player. He so. is absolutely. I hope good. he doesn't suit up for the Canes. But, yeah, but that's the that's the idea as of right now. Um, so
1: basically, the ACC is—it's um, hot garbage outside of Clemson. Is—is the best that now, and it a, wasn't
0: a good recruiting year either for the ACC when when it really comes down to it. Uh, some of the rankings were pretty poor, even for all the, you know, the hype Georgia Tech has gotten. I like we were talking about it. Like they signed one guy in the two four seven top five hundred.
1: Yeah, Georgia Tech, did. and we ended up. So we ended up. And when it came back, when I said earlier that we were tied for third, so we tied for third with eight top 500 recruits with Miami, which is granted that's both because of what's happening in Miami and what's, you know, us, you know, kind of, uh, keeping with it, obviously FSU and then Clemson had like 18 or something yeah. ungodly, you know, it's, you know, four, four years worth of, of players at that level. Uh, but, you know that it was relatively down in terms of the ACC 2 years ago when people were saying the ACC is really on the the uptrend uh there's a lot for these teams to come out and prove this year including the fact that one of the second most touted teams in this past season was Syracuse in terms yeah. of like what they were able to do they're down to number 56 so uh, yeah, obviously yeah yeah because they losing dungy they lose losing dungy. a, a yeah. good
0: amount of production um they had a nice recruiting year for syracuse they they were one of the few other teams that actually did pull in a couple decent recruits here and there but like pitt for instance had zero recruits inside the top 500 of the composite i'm not sure how that's possible in the state of Pennsylvania at a school that's won national titles, multiple national titles, and you can't pull one top 500 recruit, if they
1: hadn't beat us last year, I'd be a lot more harsh on them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, like, that's bad. That, well, is, that is bad. That
1: means 90% of them are all going to Penn State. Uh, and, yeah. and, and Penn, that's another thing is, you know, And so it's kind of this is this is how everything kind of I think in my mind is water is a waterfall effect of college football and how it's going to get very, very steep. And rather than more of like a trickle is Penn State is, I think, even higher than us in the number of transfers that they have. So what's Penn State go out and do? They get a bunch of people that pulls talent from Pitt that pulls talent, you know, it yeah. just has this ripple effect. 17 four stars for Penn State.
0: Yeah. 17. It, it, they I mean Franklin he he's as uh Hunker Down hooky always says, he's a snake oil salesman, but you know, he he can freaking recruit, man. He got the number 1 five-star player in Virginia and at linebacker this year. Um he's He's a problem. I'm hoping that he gets hired away by, you know, a, a NFL team or somebody. It's just yeah. NFL. Get him out of yeah, NFL, whoever, uh, eventually. But uh, for now, we got to deal with him coming into our state and taking our guys. But at least they've got a lot of turnover as well. I think that about does it for the podcast. I, I don't have a whole lot else to say. I'm hoping that this projection will stand up. I, you know, it, they're we could start QP and it would throw a monkey wrench in the whole returning production metric of this projection. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping we can win nine or 10 games next year based on the easy schedule and where these teams are slotting in currently. I mean, it's very nice that our opening week opponent, Boston college is projected at 72. I will take that every day of the week. Cause we got to go up there. That's never fun. Um, labor day in Boston. I might actually go to that game.
1: Yeah. Let's uh yeah. yeah, head up to uh I'll take you to the old stopping grounds. We'll go to uh yeah, Marianne's and go get some beers. What's
0: that yeah, there's like there's that reservoir that's right near the stadium. You have to like take the long walk around. Yeah. Um if you're at the bars. And I remember I got really drunk once. Th- I've been up there before for a tech game. We got super drunk at this bar and i had to walk around the huge reservoir to get to the stadium. I'm like, where the hell is this place? Yeah. But uh, but
1: yeah, Boston's always left. Yeah, maybe. I'll and go. you're heading right through Chestnut Hill, coming out of. Uh, it's beautiful uh, up there. Yeah. It really is. Um, but uh, I I totally agree. I don't have much else to say other than you know, if things do shake out this way, then yeah, this team is not going to have many excuses for having a bad season. But we also have to finish it because I told uh, our listeners oh, yeah, let's that do it the beers. was it was relevant. So um. Well, I started before. Do you have a do you have a beer you're drinking?
0: I'm drinking a Lagunitas Dogtown Pale Ale. It's as you would imagine, somewhat unspectacular. It's it's a Lagunitas, which I know you 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 will rag on here from from time to time. They make good beer, but um usually it's it's average beer. This Dogtown Pale Ale is it's pretty average, but hey, it's beer. It's pretty good. <laughs> I mean What are you having?
1: So, well, like Sierra right now has like the hazy little thing out, which is a pretty good I love knowing. that beer. It's a great beer. So it's yeah. possible for the big guys to do good beer. They just have to put a little bit of, you know, put a little arm uh, arm sweat into it and just kind of make it happen. But in any case, I'm drinking the other side of the Potomac. So exactly. Now that I work up in Maryland uh, and I live in Virginia, you will, if you're not from the area... It, the the professionally or whatever you want to call it, it's whether you want to cross the river to go to <laughs> up to Maryland or back down to Virginia, depending on what side of the river that you're on. So I thought that was pretty funny. I just grabbed it. It's from solace who we've had on here a bunch of times. Uh, they're in Dulles. They have great beers, but I don't want to bore everybody with, uh, you know, hitting a beer that we've already had, but I thought the, uh, the name was pretty, Pretty funny, given now I work on one side of the uh, the the com work one commonwealth and head head to the state on the other side, and every day I have to debate whether I'm going to make the trip across the river and back over because it's a pain (laughs) in the ass.
0: Yeah, we were talking about your commute, your new commute uh, on your second new job in about a year. Yeah. <laughs> just before the podcast.
1: I left my first one just so everybody's like, man, this guy is really a hack and gets fired. So uh... <laughs> he, can't, he can't cut the mustard
0: anywhere. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, that's going to do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you for everyone that supports the podcast and, and leaves the kind of reviews we really do appreciate it and that's not just lip service there make sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts. hit us on twitter it's at 2dvt instagram at 2dvt as well 2dvt.com is our website you can track all of our beers and stream every podcast there and until next time go Hokies